Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Lessons from the world's top professors, anytime, anyplace. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. And we're back on the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Last time, we discussed the greatest. Muhammad Ali. Today, we shift our focus to the expansion of civil rights protests by athletes onto the Olympic stage. In 1968, black American athletes exercised their right to protest, some by boycotting and some by attending and making another kind of statement. Here's Matt with more. So Muhammad Ali was the catalyst for the revolt of the black athlete. And the big year of this revolt was 1968. The 1960s were a tumultuous decade. And in that tumultuous decade, 1968 was the most tumultuous year of all. 1968 was a year of national unrest. It was the year of the revolt of the black athlete, or as I like to call it, it was the year of black fists. Here's a quick rundown. 1968, it began with the Tet Offensive in Vietnam, when Vietnamese communist forces briefly overran the American military in South Vietnam. And this was the moment when Americans back home began to seriously distrust their political leaders when it came to Vietnam. Americans were being told that they were easily winning this war, that victory was in sight. And the shock of the Tet Offensive demonstrated this was not true. Suddenly, in early 1968, more Americans were against the war than were for the war. And this was the first time in American history that it ever happened. There were political assassinations at home. In April, the civil rights figure, Martin Luther King Jr., he was shot and killed in Memphis. More on this in a moment. In June, the Democratic presidential candidate, Robert Kennedy, he was gunned down in Los Angeles on the night of his victory in the California Democratic primary. Kennedy was the candidate who was talking about the problem of black poverty in this nation, and now he was gone. 
Then in the late summer at the Democratic Convention in Chicago, youthful protesters converged in the city to protest the war in Vietnam. And the Chicago police moved in on them and beat the protesters day and night. Chicago was a war zone. Americans were angry and defiant. This defiance reared its head in the world of sports, particularly among black athletes in American universities. Just a few quick examples. In 1968, at the University of California at Berkeley, black football players revolted against their coach who demanded that they trim their beards and afros, that the black athletes refused to play. And their revolt eventually led to the dismissal of both the coach and the athletic director. At the University of Kansas, black football players boycotted practice until the cheerleading squad was integrated. Black athletes in Western colleges protested the fact that their universities scheduled games and meets against Brigham Young University. BYU is a Mormon school, and at that time, Mormon church doctrine explicitly denied blacks full membership. African Americans were prohibited from the priesthood. And black athletes, they took a stand and they protested and then they were punished. Eight members of the Texas Western track team, they announced they would boycott their upcoming meet uh, against BYU. And their coach immediately dismissed all eight of them, including their star long jumper, Bob Beeman, who will do something very remarkable at the Summer Olympics in just a moment. Fourteen members of the University of Wyoming football team, they were not going to boycott their upcoming game against BYU. They just told their coach, we're going to wear black armbands in protest of Mormon doctrine. Their coach said, not only will you not wear those armbands, you are no longer on the team. Known as the Black 14, these 14 players had revolted and there was swift retribution. Let me briefly point out something here. In 1973, the NCAA changed one of its rules. Before 1973, college athletes were always given four-year athletic scholarships. Now these scholarships would be on a one-year, year-to-year basis. Why do you think this change happened? This policy was changed so coaches and administrators could control their athletes. They wanted the power to threaten players and kick them out of the university for speaking about issues of civil rights or or protesting the war in Vietnam. So in 1968, athletes were part of the rebellion of the era. They were insisting that they be heard. They were saying that sports would no longer be divorced from the political issues of the times. But the big bang of these 1968 protests was the proposed boycott among black athletes of the Summer Olympics in Mexico City. The idea of black Americans boycotting the Olympics had first been proposed four years earlier in 1964. Mal Whitfield was a former Olympic medalist. He had won gold in the 800 meters back in London in 1948. And in 1964, Mal Whitfield wrote an article for Ebony Magazine, and the title was Let's Boycott the Olympics. He was referring to the 1964 Olympic Games in Tokyo. Whitfield had been one of those athletes we talked about last time who in the 1950s had toured the world espousing the wonderfulness of the United States. But by 1964, he was disenchanted with the slow pace of change in this country. And he wanted white Americans to know his displeasure. 
The best way to get the attention of white Americans, Whitfield believed, was to refuse to represent them in the Olympics. You want to win the medal count against the Soviet Union? Well, good luck without us. Whitfield's suggestion actually brought little response in 1964. But four years later, amid all the unrest of 1968 and the more general revolt of the black athlete, the idea was resurrected for the Summer Olympics in Mexico City. And this time, the proposal came from a sociology professor at San Jose State College, Dr. Harry Edwards. Harry Edwards had been a collegiate discus thrower and a basketball player at San Jose State. But instead of pursuing an athletic career, he pursued a PhD in sociology. He he studied and wrote about race. And Edwards is the one who most passionately came to articulate the idea that black athletes were being used. Specifically, he said that they were wrongly being held up by American propagandists as proof that all black Americans could succeed in American life. In other words, he argued that the success of black athletes, these successes were being used to cover up a problematic racist system. And Harry Edwards is the guy who said no more. No longer will black athletes be held up as proof that the system is working because the system is not working. And here is exactly how Edwards put it. Here's a quote. We must no longer allow this country to use black athletes to rationalize its treatment of the black masses, to use a few Negroes to point out to the world how much progress has been made solving racial problems. We must no longer allow the sports world to pat itself on the back as a citadel of racial justice when the racial injustices of the sports industry are legendary. Any black person who allows himself to be used in the above manner is not only a chump, but he is a traitor to his race because he allows racist whites the luxury of resting assured that those black people in the ghettos are there because that is where they belong or want to be. So as you see here, Edwards is not only saying that the American sports world is racist, He is calling out every single black athlete in America and saying, you are either with us and speaking out against this problem, or you are the problem. You either stand with us and speak out, or you are a traitor to the race. Definite hard battle lines are being drawn here. It was Dr. Edwards who came up with the phrase, the revolt of the black athlete. And Edwards was very strategic. He very consciously played with the idea that this was a revolt, that this was a a political rebellion. In fact, he himself, he adopted the uniform of of the militaristic black American. And he admitted why he did it. He said, you know, when he wore his tweed blazer and spectacles, nobody paid attention to him. But when he donned his black beret and sunglasses, his his black leather jacket, you know, when he donned the uniform of the rebel, suddenly people paid attention. Suddenly they listened. Harry Edwards was reviled among the white press who saw him as an instigator, uh, a troublemaker. The hate mail Harry Edwards received, it made those threatening messages sent to Jackie Robinson look like love letters. Here's how much some people hated Harry Edwards. Someone broke into his apartment in San Jose, 
took a decorative machete that he had on his wall and they butchered his two cocker spaniels. To give organizational bite to this revolt, Harry Edwards formed an organization, the Olympic Project for Human Rights. I'll say it again, the Olympic Project for Human Rights, the OPHR. The OPHR consisted of Edwards and elite black athletes, and they held a press conference in which they outlined their demands. And if these demands were not met, Edwards said that black athletes would refuse to represent the United States at the 1968 Summer Games. And here's what they wanted. First, they demanded the restoration of Muhammad Ali's boxing title and his boxing license. That was their very first demand. And I think that gives us a sense of how meaningful Ali was to this generation. They wanted the dismissal of Avery Brundage, who was the American who ran the International Olympic Committee. Avery Brundage was was famously anti-Semitic, and he, he showed a general disdain for the concerns of black American athletes. In fact, Harry Edwards called him slavery Brundage, and the OPHR, they wanted him to step down. They demanded that the U.S. Olympic team have more black coaches, and they demanded that the International Olympic Committee ban the all-white Olympic teams from South Africa and Rhodesia. These were two African nations that practiced apartheid and whose governments, they're they're all white governments, they refused to let black African athletes compete under their flags. So their demands were not just about racial injustice in the United States. They had a a, a global or pan-African agenda. In April of 1968, Black Americans were jolted when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. And King's assassin was James Earl Ray, uh, who who quickly escaped the United States and went to Rhodesia, that white-controlled African nation I just told you about that did not allow black athletes to compete under their flag. And it was the murder of Dr. King that really led many black athletes to seriously consider the boycott. And someone who decided in the wake of King's assassination that he was going to boycott was Lou Alcindor of UCLA, the greatest college basketball player ever, and someone soon to change his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It was in the wake of King's assassination that Lou Alcindor said, I cannot represent this country at the Olympic Games. After the break, Tommy Smith and John Carlos raise their fists at the Olympic medal ceremony. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. 
LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. In the end, the athletes who did boycott these games were basketball players. And I'm not downplaying their decision, but I do want to point out that basketball players had the NBA ahead of them. There was still another level for them, the professional level. But for most of the black athletes, the Olympics was their ultimate goal. You know, there was no professional track and field career waiting for them. So a a massive or, or general boycott never happened. And the plan instead became, let's think about ways of using the Olympic Games as a stage for protest. And track and field seemed to be the best venue for the protest. And and members of the Olympic Project for Human Rights, these black athletes, they came up with some very interesting ideas. For example, someone suggested that after the starting gun sounded, black athletes should drop to their knees and crawl symbolizing how black Americans have been hobbled by racism at home. Others said, no, 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 we want to compete. So what if we run as hard as we can and then we'll stop and we'll sit down right before we reach the finish line? A symbolic suggestion that black Americans have yet to cross the finish line back at home. Think about how dramatic either of those moments would have been. Ultimately, these ideas were dismissed. It was unclear if anything would happen at all. At the 1968 Mexico City Summer Olympics, the United States had one of its strongest Olympic teams ever. In fact, after years of losing to the Soviets in the medal count, in 1968, the United States was back on top. And the U.S. was especially strong in track and field. And here are a few of the highlights for the Americans. There was the high jumper, Dick Fosbury, who unleashed a brand new style of jumping in these games. Previously, high jumpers leapt over the bar with a face down technique with their, with their chest facing the ground. This was a technique known as the straddle. But Fosbury just never felt comfortable doing the straddle. And in a, in a moment of desperation at a track meet one year earlier, he had just done something radical. He had gone over the bar with his back to the ground and his face into the sky. It became known as the Fosbury flop. 
And in these Olympic Games, Dick Fosbury, a, a different type of athletic rebel, he flopped his way to the gold medal. There was Wyoming Tyus. Tyus was the latest of the blazing fast Tennessee State Tiger Bells, that school that gave us Wilma Rudolph. At these games, Wyoming Tyus won gold in the 100 meters. And she had done the same thing four years earlier in 1964. So Wyoming Tyus is the first athlete, male or female, to win the 100 meters in two consecutive Olympics. And then there was the long jumper, Bob Beeman, who made an incomprehensible leap. If you doubt that man can fly, I give you Bob Beeman in the thin air of Mexico City in 1968. When Beeman took off down the runway, the Olympic record in the long jump was 27 feet, 4 inches. Beeman jumped, he soared, he landed, and the officials started to measure his jump. But their measuring tape wasn't long enough. They had to find a second tape. It took them nearly 30 minutes before they were satisfied with their measurement. 29 feet, 2 inches. Beeman had obliterated the world record by almost two feet. Relative to the existing record, it's got to be the most remarkable performance in Olympic history. So amazing feats, all of them. But if you say 1968 Olympics, what most people think of is the protest. The men's 200-meter sprint featured two African-Americans, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. They were from San Jose State College, where Harry Edwards taught. In this event, Tommy Smith won gold, John Carlos won bronze, and Peter Norman, an Australian, he finished right in between them in second place. At the medal ceremony, all three stood on the podium, they received their medals, and when the Star Spangled Banner began to play, American sport history changed forever. I'm sure you've seen photographs of this moment. Tommy Smith and John Carlos, they raised their arms and clenched their fists. They were wearing black gloves. This, they said, stood for the power and the unity of black America. They were not wearing shoes. They had removed them and were standing in their socks. This symbolized the material poverty of black America. John Carlos wore beads around his neck. He said this signified the black Americans who had been lynched in American history. And they were both bowing their heads. This was a remembrance of Malcolm X and Dr. King. King had been assassinated just a few months earlier. All three of the athletes, including the white athlete, Peter Norman of Australia, the silver medalist, all three wore buttons that said Olympic Project for Human Rights. Let's talk about the reaction to this moment. When the anthem stopped, the boos from the crowd, which was heavily American, the, the boos poured out. And as they walked off the track, people who were there, they reported that the N-word was yelled multiple times. And Smith and Carlos looked into the crowd and they raised their fists once again as they walked off the track. Tommy Smith was immediately asked by reporters what it meant and he called it a gesture of frustration. He was frustrated with the persistence of racism in the United States. Sports writers tried to figure out what it all meant. 
Robert Lipsight was a fairly liberal sports writer for the New York Times. He wasn't sure what he had just witnessed. He wrote, after all we'd come through this year, and this is it? This is the mildest, most civil demonstration of the year. What does it even mean? Now, I'm not sure what Lipsight was expecting. I suppose they could have burned the metal stand to the ground, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix style, but that's what he wrote. Other sports writers thought they knew exactly what it meant. Jim Graham of the Denver Post called the gesture a deliberate, calculated insult to the white people of the United States. A reporter for the Los Angeles Times called it a Nazi-like salute. There was a young sports writer named Brent Musburger. Now he announces college football games. And he was covering the Olympics for a Chicago newspaper. And he also made reference to the Nazis. He called Tommy Smith and John Carlos a pair of dark-skinned stormtroopers. In other words, black Nazis. And then he wrote this. One gets a little tired of having the United States run down by athletes who are enjoying themselves at the expense of their country. Protesting and working constructively against racism in the United States is one thing, but airing one's dirty clothing before the entire world during a fun and games tournament was no more than a juvenile gesture by a couple of athletes who should have known better. The man who was most angry of all was Avery Brundage, the head of the IOC, and he gave the United States Olympic Committee an ultimatum. Avery Brundage said that Tommy Smith and John Carlos had deliberately violated the spirit of the games by bringing politics onto the medal stand. So Brundage said that Smith and Carlos had to go. Either send Smith and Carlos back to the United States or the entire U.S. team would be barred from further competition. And so Smith and Carlos were removed from the Olympic Village, put on a plane, and sent back to the United States. The United States Olympic Committee, they went into crisis mode. They quickly met with all the black athletes and they begged them, please don't make any more metal stand gestures. And there was a very interesting collision between past and present here. The United States Olympic Committee brought in Jesse Owens, the hero from 1936, to speak with the present day black athletes. Jesse Owens implored the black Olympians to cool it. He begged them not to embarrass their country. He made some weird promise that they would all be taken care of after the Olympics, and the athletes just laughed at him. They said, will we be taken care of just like you were taken care of, Jesse? Will we get to run against horses for a living too? The athletes called Jesse Owens a traitor. They, they called him an Uncle Tom, and they told him to get out of their face. It's a tough moment that illuminates the stark, unflinching generational divide in this era. Here was Jesse Owens, the man who had raced against Hitler and, and paved the way in some ways for these black athletes. But now here he was telling them to just keep quiet and run. And in their mind, now he was part of the problem. In their mind, Jesse Owens was an apologist for the status quo. The, the divisions of the 1960s, they ran deep. Uh, I'm not sure if there is a moment that illuminates those divisions, a moment that illuminates the political passions and the divisions of the entire decade, more than the reaction to Tommy Smith and John Carlos raising their fist on the medal stand. 
For almost a quarter century, ever since Jackie Robinson desegregated Major League Baseball, sports had been celebrated as being the venue where racial progress was most evident. And now these two black American athletes were saying in front of the whole world, it's not true. It's a lie. That's all for now. Next time on the Untold History of Sports in America, presented by One Day University, Joe Namath revolutionizes athlete marketability. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.